Tonight, tonight we're talking about the soul, afterlife, and reincarnation. My disclaimer is, the material that we're going to cover tonight is deep, it's difficult, and it could be that as a result of this, you're going to, it may bring up things in your life that you haven't wanted to bring up. So I hope my prayer tonight is that you'll be open to just accepting whatever is going to come as a result of what we learned tonight. And I hope that if it does create an impetus for change, that it's a positive change, not a negative change. It's very, very easy to listen to some of these ideas, to listen to these concepts, and to, and to think negatively, and right away start thinking down on yourself, and right away start thinking, who am I? Why am I doing this? I'm just... Uh... That's not the point of this. There's, a, there's two basic teachings in Judaism, and I'm going to tell you the difference with them, because I'm going to talk about both of them tonight. And the reason why I want to start off by telling you the difference between these two teachings is because I want to tell you why I prefer one over the other. The first teaching is called Hasidism. And the second is called Musar. They both started around the same time period. Hasidism was started by the famed Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov, the founder of the Hasidic movement. And the other one was, uh, the Musar movement was founded by a man named Rabbi Israel Salanter. They both were about becoming a better person, growing and making this world a better place. Rabbi Israel Baal Shem Tov and the Hasidic movement did it through positive reinforcement. The Musar movement, Rabbi Salanter, did it through negative reinforcement. Rabbi, the Baal Shem Tov wanted to build up the simple person, wanted to take a world that had just recuperated from the Chimoniki pogroms 300 years ago, the Polish Revolution. They went after Russia, and the Russians, in a vengeance, went after the Poles. And in the Polish army's retreat from the Russians, they went through town and town and killed out all of Jewish life. Most of Jews of Poland about 300 years ago, almost all the Jews were gone, I think 85% of the Jews of Poland were gone. The Jewish community was devastated and they needed to be lifted up. And the young man traveled the countryside looking to inspire, to build hope, to find new meaning in simple experiences. And that began the Hasidic movement. Serve God with joy. Make this world a better place. Build yourself up with joy. While the Musar movement was much, was much more old school style. The idea was, if you know what's going to happen to you at the end of days, if you know where you're going to go, well, it's going to change you. So it was much more fire and brimstone, harsh. And there's nothing wrong with it. There are some people who like that style. There are some kids who need love and affection, and there are some kids who need that fire and brimstone, that structure. And there are some people that benefit from both together. 
Now, it happens to be, when you talk about the afterlife, a lot of the information in the afterlife comes from the Musar teachings, because they spend a lot of time focusing on the afterlife. So, when a lot of the things we're going to talk about tonight are a little more of the fire and brimstone. It's not my regular style, but I would, I would be wrong by not giving you both opinions. That's what happens. As, as they used to say in, in, in uh, street hockey, you've got to play with the court. <laughs> but does that mean that the two movements have different opinions about the uh, afterlife? No. Okay. The, the movement of the Hasidic movement won't, doesn't speak as much about the afterlife because okay. the afterlife is not as important. It's all about being in this world and making this world a better place. Uh-huh. And that's really very much the Hasidic teachings. Bring joy into your life today. Forget about what's going to happen tomorrow. But tonight we're going in a different place. Okay. So, that said, let's start tonight's class. I hope uh, the journey is as enlightening over the next hour for you as it's been for me studying and preparing and trying to understand a little better where our souls go and where they come from. So, before we talk about where the souls go, we have to talk about the soul. So the basic premise that a lot of you know, I'm just reviewing this for you, is we have an animal soul and we have a godly soul. I write God with a dash and not an O because I don't want to deface the name of God. When I erase it, I don't want to erase God's name. So the animal is the animal. Now the animal is not evil. The animal is instinctual. It's based on instinct. It just wants what it wants when it wants it. It wants to eat and sleep. It wants to live. It wants to be. The father and mother create the animal, the body. That is what the father and mother do. God creates the godly soul. And God breathes into the human being, into the person, a breath of life. Like the Torah says... God breathed into Adam a breath of life. Why? Actually, the term would probably be translated as blow. What would be the difference between breathing and blowing? Well, when I talk now, I'm talking, I'm breathing as I'm talking, but I can talk for an hour or so without getting really exhausted. But blowing, I can't blow for an hour. <clears throat> blowing comes from my, from my innards. Blowing comes from the depths of who I am. So God took from his depths and breathed and blew into us a breath of life. That soul, that godly soul is a piece of God, an exact piece of God. And God took it from the deepest point, the deepest moment, the deepest place that he has and breathed it into us. The soul, the godly soul, is eternal. It's before this world and it's after this world. It actually has nothing to do with this world. This soul, now, I'm just going to move here. It's better. The, while we're in this world, we are a soul and a body. We're a fusion of soul and body. Now, Do our eyes see? Do our ears hear? 
Does our nose smell? The answer, on a very basic, physical level, is yes. But on a metaphysical level, it's no. The soul is seeing and smelling and hearing. And while the soul is in the body, the soul is using the body to see and hear and smell. That's why, if you ever speak to somebody who has an out-of-body experience, they'll tell you, I, I heard it all. I could see it so clearly. I, I heard it. I, 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 heard, I couldn't believe it. I was looking. I, I, I speak to people, and I, I believe them. They had an out-of-body experience. I said, you know, there was an accident, and heaven forbid it, it should never happen to anyone. And I was looking down, at, and I could see everyone there. Hold on a second. Wait one moment. Are you in your body or out of your body? Are you having an in-body experience or an out-of-body experience? If it's an out-of-body experience, what are you talking about seeing? You're not seeing anything. Your eyes are down there. The soul sees and the soul hears. And while the soul is in the body, it uses these mediums to connect with the world. It's kind of like a candle in a flame, the wick. The wick is constantly connecting the flame to the body, but the flame wants to rise higher. The soul, I don't want to use the word trapped, but for lack of better words, the soul is trapped in the body for the duration of life in this world. Now, The way the soul is expressed in the body is kind of like a hand in a glove. We see the glove, but the glove isn't doing anything. It's the hand that's doing everything. But if you didn't know there was a hand underneath, you'd think the glove moved. And the glove had this power of movement. That's the way. It's really the soul that's moving inside. But we, all we can see is the glove. All we can see is the body. So much so that it's so easy to say, this is all a bunch of garbage. What do you mean? There's no soul. Come on. There isn't? Maybe for a different conversation. Let's go, let's go into the text tonight. Rabbi Schneer Zalman, the, found, the, the author of Atania, he explains that there are two souls. The first soul is the nefesh abahmit, which is the ad, which animates the body, and the soul is complete with an infrastructure of soul powers ranging from pleasure and will to intellect and emotions. Common to all the soul powers of the animal soul is that they wish to fulfill the base needs, passions, and desires of the body. Essentially, the animal soul is self-centered. It just wants what it wants. What are you going to do for me? What am I going to get out of it? What's in it for me? It's all about me and my life. It's the capital I movement. In the English language, there's only one letter, that's one word that's always capitalized, right? The I. It's never, it always stands on its own. Look at the page. All you're going to see is a bunch of eyes. We live in a society that's completely animal-based. What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? I want something from this. 
If I'm not going to get anything out of it, then why should I come to class? I mean, I am here to get something good from you, but really it's all about me. And when I'm going to get out of this, oh my gosh, that class was terrible because I didn't get anything. Business deal was horrendous. I did not win. I'm, I'm not playing the lottery. I didn't win. How many times can you use I in a single sentence? Spend a few minutes thinking about how many times you're using I. Well, it's about me and my problems. What are you guys all doing here? Why are we even bothering to start with this whole thing? That's the animal. Then, and from the animal stems the negative character traits such as anger, apathy, and arrogance. Now we have a second soul. The Nefesh Kid Job says it's a part of God. It exists both before its descent into the body and after the ascent from the body. The godly soul in itself is not in need of rectification. Rather, its descent into this world is to refine the base and animalistic nature of this material world. Before its descent to the world, the animal soul, the, the divine soul, is taken on a heavenly tour. And it's shown the various departments in the Garden of Eden. And it's also shown hell. It's made clear to the soul that it is embarking on a journey full of distractions. The soul is made to take an oath that she will remain righteous, and even if persuaded by those around her that she is perfect, she should always deem herself in need of improvement. The soul is provided with all the spiritual sustenance that it will require on its journey, and it's satiated with enough spiritual energy required to transform the animal and its portion in the world. Each of us, each of us comes into this world with a unique purpose. No one has the same purpose, no one before us, no one during our lifetime, and no one after us will have our unique purpose. We have a unique imprint and a purpose to be here. This world is not called the world of truth. This is called the world of falsehood, according to Kabbalah. It's a false world, a world that we've come to improve, to repair. That's where the idea of tikkun olam, repairing the world, comes from that. That our job is to repair this world and make this world a better place. And each one of us, there's not one soul that's redundant. Each one of us has a unique purpose and a unique reason for coming here. And we spend our years, 70, 80, 90, 100, and so on years, in this world. And when we're done with our mission... God takes us back to the world of truth. That's the story. You have a question? Yeah. yeah. So if the soul is provided with a spiritual sustenance that it will require, meaning it has enough to function properly, why is it that some people have that certain emotional strength and that certain emotional tank to overcome certain struggles and others have a less emotional tank. And I, I associate emotion with spirituality. You know, if you have emotional strength, you have a certain spiritual strength. In Kabbalah, emotional strength is not necessarily spiritual strength. But what I will tell you, in Kabbalah, maps this out so, so, so beautifully, if I can use that word. It says that whatever resources a person needs 
in order to fulfill their mission. The talents, the ability, the drive, the willpower, God gives that soul everything they need. So if someone is maybe a little more sensitive, it's because they need that quality. If someone's a little more, uh, has a stronger personality, they need that quality for their soul purpose. My soul purpose and your soul purpose is not the same. Now, the fact that we're here together and we're sharing a soul experience is important for the world at large and for our purpose. So would you call the, the person who's more We'll be back after a quick break. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. The answer is there's a negative and a positive to everything because this world is a balance of good and evil. So there is a negative side to a person. So a person could be bringing out the evil part of the world when they're supposed to be bringing out the positive. So it really, it's very hard to look at a person and say exactly what's going on because you don't know how much self-refinement and where they are and where they've come from, etc., etc. So. Exactly. Exactly. And that's all about soul, you know, finding your soul and finding your soul purpose and really do that soul searching. That is what it's all about. Yeah. I've heard that uh, each lifetime that we have is that we have a chance to change the movie and to fulfill our purpose. And that if you don't, you come back and... So that's, we're going to get that at the end of, at the, end of the class into reincarnation. But let's, I, was, I want to talk about our purpose here and what's going to happen after we're gone. Yeah. Going back to our mission, would you say that the purpose of our life uh, would be to, to find out our unique mission of each of us? Would you say that? I, it's, it's not necessary to find out, because by the time you find it out, you're not here anymore. <laughs> but it's to do. It's to do. We are in the world, Kabbalah calls our world Asiya, the world of action. We're in this world to do. And we have to, we're not here to talk, we're not here to think. We're here to do. It's a very big deal. It's a lot of people who are good talkers, but they're not doing. And if your words are not meeting your actions, then there's something wrong. And it's very, it's very interesting. And, I, and, and I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not doing it so that you can judge me. But in, in general, in Kabbalah, if you know that your Kabbalah teacher is authentic or not, it's whether their words are meeting their actions. And that is very important because Kabbalah can be a lot of talk. It's very easy to sit here and to build on a philosophy that's incredible and to bask in the rays of bliss. I don't know. <laughs> but you know the difference because this world, Kabbalah is very clear about that. This world is the world of action and our job is to do. And 
we can talk, and we can learn, and we can study, and that's part of it. But at the end of the day, the study must lead to action. Which is partially, like I said in the beginning of tonight's class, why this class may be difficult as we get into it. So the animal soul is only created at birth, and it disappears with death. So there's the godly soul which comes down into the body, which already had an animal soul, or already had, is born with an animal soul. Sticks and they stick together for their hundreds and of years, as we say. And then the godly soul goes up. The animal soul just goes into the ground. We'll, well we're going to find out what happens. Okay. No, it's good, it's good. I'm happy that you're, you're leading. This is part of our discussion tonight. It's good. Is, is the godly soul the same for every one of us? Uh, it's different for every one of us. So every one of us has a different godly soul. Well, we have a different godly purpose. So obviously we have a different godly soul. Different in any way. I mean, it depends. It depends on what, what our mission is and who we are and who the soul is. The soul has a number, so to speak. You know, it has a unique imprint. And, and, and there's a reason why that soul is here. There's a reason why we are here in 2013 in Montreal. There's a reason why we're not in a different lifetime, a different place. You know, it all happens, and you think it's all by chance. It's all not all reason. by chance. There's, there's, there's a reason. Now, how does a soul separate from the body? Let's get into the afterlife. It's really tough to talk about this because anything that we can say has to do with a soul and a body because we are a soul and a body. So we're talking about something that we're not. And it's very nice. There's a lot of people who can talk about a lot of things and who say a lot of things and I'm sure you've heard. This is not the first class or the first time you've discussed the afterlife. It's very, very hard to take theories and even science doesn't know that much. We're not claiming, Kabbalah is not claiming to know very much, but definitely to understand it. And that's what we're going to get to tonight. And to understand not only what it means to those who have departed, but also what it means to those who are living. So, a person, a person has the ability to remember everything in their lifetime, even back to early childhood. For a little while, I studied hypnotherapy. And in hypnotherapy, with the right form, someone could go back into their subconscious and bring out memories a very early childhood. And it's all there. It's embedded within our psyche. Every bit of it is there. Now, the difference is, is that we have a filter. Our mind is a filter. Our mind creates a memory. And it filters out sometimes the bad stuff and filters in the good stuff. Our conscious is our filter. Our subconscious is our non-filtered. And during our lifetime, our mind is smart, to use that term, <laughs> at figuring out what to remember and what not to remember. And it's interesting how they call it selective memory. 
there are a lot of things that we just don't remember. And there could be a lot of reasons why we don't remember them. But that is part of living in this world, and that's part of being in this world, is that there are things that we remember and things that we don't. One of the greatest examples is you ever, heaven forbid, someone passes away and there's a shiva, and everyone is sitting around the shiva, talking about all the nice stories. No one remembers the sad stories and the things that happen. Sometimes they, they, they still mention it, but only as a joke. You know, just to say, oh, that's, you know, that was his or her personality. Now, let's do a little exercise. Close your eyes for a minute. It's interesting to see who was willing to close their eyes right away. Now, I'm going to start talking. Tell me what's, what's happening. All of a sudden, all these flashes. Can you see all these things that are going? There's like all these ideas that are popping into your head and they're popping out. And, and they come by so quick, you almost can't even keep track of all the different ideas. And even if I'm talking and I'm going to say something that's profound, you're going to try to focus on what I'm saying. But even while I'm saying it, all these ideas are going to start popping into your mind. And here I am, as your eyes are closed, I'm talking here, and you can hear me, but you're not exactly hearing me. You're a step removed from me. Open your eyes. That's what happens to us every single day, all the time. There are hundreds of images. Did you experience those images? Constantly, all these different thoughts, a lot of things were happening, your mind is racing. Did that happen to you? Or was it you were able to totally focus on me? Okay, there's a few people that have some good mind control here. I can, what, what can I say? If you, if, you, if you were totally focused on me without anything popping into your mind, you have a very developed sense of thought, and we can talk about that. We will have an advanced thought Kabbalah class at a different time because that is a really good talent or a resource or if you've, if you've built that, we got to talk because that is something you can really use to, for mindfulness and for, for a lot of things. Meditation. But for, for, for a lot of people, there's always thoughts. We're always getting bombarded. They, so usually they're, they're cells. They last a second and we forget about them. We're, our dreams, we always forget about them. But They happen. Because the subconscious is constantly bringing back things, but the conscious is really good at pushing those things away. And there's a constant battle between our conscious and our subconscious. One of the differences between the conscious and the subconscious is the difference between a typewriter and a computer. A typewriter, you've got one page there and you're typing. But one of the most incredible things when the computer first came out, people were saying, wow, you can type three pages at the same time. You can see one page on your screen, and then you can open up a second page on the screen at the same exact time. This is brilliant. That's what the subconscious is. There's all these pages on your screen, and you have to figure out a way to kind of blend them all together and work them all and make the conscious. And very often, the subconscious is built from the conscious. Sorry, the conscious is built from the subconscious. Now, imagine this. 
Imagine you live in past, present, and future, all at once. What word would you give to that experience? Schizophrenic, crazy, eternal, unmanageable, unmanageable, complete, complete, interesting, confusion. It's a confusing experience. Well, guess what? That's what happens when the soul leaves the body. That's exactly what happens. Our conscious mind stops and our subconscious mind becomes conscious. While the soul is in the body, our conscious is focused. But once the soul leaves the body, there's no more filter. The filter is gone. That's a lot of information. I gave a good disclaimer in the beginning of this class. You missed the disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a lot of information once you're gone for your mind to process. It is. Soul to process. And we're going to talk about what happens. Are you ready? Is it okay? Can we go a step further? Yes. So that's why we don't remember what happened before our birth. Now. That's right. Because we have a filter. Okay. We could. If we, if, if it's possible. There are people who can do it. <clears throat> and there are people who do it. Now, be careful. If someone ever... Yeah. If someone ever tells you that they can take you to past lives, be careful of how they're doing it. Because remember, this world is balanced of good and evil. There's a lot of things out there. Not all of them are good. And they all look the same. They all look the same. Because that's the way the world is. You don't know the difference between the good and the evil all the time. So if someone says, oh, I can take you, I don't know they use, I know in... In the 60s, the Ouija boards were popular or whatever they're doing. Be careful. Just sometimes it's not meant for us to go there. You have to also know that. There's certain limitations. We are limited. We are limited to time and space, and we have to be okay with that. We're not going to wake up one morning and start flying. It just doesn't happen because we are limited to time and space, and we're not going to travel to a different time. I mean, as much as people think they can create these time machines and it's a great childhood imagination technique. I've made great bedtime stories with time machines. But it doesn't, it doesn't work in reality because we are limited to time and space. So I'm going to go over this again. The difference between the soul in the body and the soul out of the body is in the body we're conscious and our mind filters out the subconscious. Out of the body is all subconscious. There's no conscious anymore. The subconscious becomes conscious. We have no filter. So how do you, how do you factor in the future then? There's no fil- in future. Our, in our, but in the real world of the subconscious, when there's an existing conscious, you don't have a future. You have a past or present. You can have a memory. Let's, let's say I told you I want to watch a, a video. I have a video of your entire life. I've had a... Uh, a, a video camera of your entire life on your head and it's been filming you. How long will it take us to watch your entire life? As long as you're living, right? Right. We couldn't watch it. I mean, maybe we can put it on fast forward. We can watch it, you know, a third, a third faster than you've lived it. 
When the soul leaves the body, the soul experiences everything, entire life at once. Everything. I'm talking about today. No, no, no. We're not talking about the future. We're talking about there's no past, present, and future because the soul is not bound by time and place anymore. So there's no, there's no future. The future is not future. We see future because that was the future. We, there, there's no. That's right. There's no time and space beyond this physical world. So what happens at that moment? Again, we're using analogies because we wouldn't understand it, really, because all we understand is time and place. Tell me what happened before time started. Time never started. Time never started. Yeah. Time was always here. That's right. I mean, try to find the last number. There's no end. What do you say? What do you say? What, what, how do you, what, what do you call the end of numbers? No, no, that's not finite, right? That's not, that's not. I mean, you know, call... Give it a name. We don't have another name for that because we don't understand that. It's beyond our realm of understanding. And we, it's okay. And one of the first things a real student of philosophy or Kabbalah or any mystical teaching will say is there's certain things we just don't understand. And we try to create these analogies to try to understand them better. And the hope is that after something like this that we understand it just a little better. <coughs> Information technology, fastest growing market, the internet. Reuters is an information superhighway. What they do is they get a lot of information to a lot of people very quickly. That's why people like them. That's their job. Now, our information never dies. It never leaves. What we know, what we say, what we do, never leaves. It's all recorded. There's a video camera on our life 24-7. I'm going to go this far. I'll tell you what the Talmud says. The Talmud says, even callous conversation between husband and wife is recorded. Everything is recorded. After our soul leaves, everything is seen. What happens at that moment is we have to go before the heavenly court. And what the heavenly court does is it shows us a video of our entire life. And we have to give an account for everything that we've done. Everything. It's kind of like the soul that goes to HQ. Does it matter how you respond in that, in that category? Because we're already, we've already done it. Give me a second. <laughs> That's why we have to keep coming back. In our lifetime, if that happened to us, we can present the best of, and we can focus on the good things, and we can find an answer for everything. And this time, 
afterlife, there's no answers. We cannot answer it. We can't justify it. It happened. And it's there in technicolor for us to see. And not only for us to see, but imagine, I pulled the screen down, in this classroom, (laughs) and I showed the video of your life to everybody here. Not just everybody here. Let's say we were in a stadium. We were at the Bell Center, and everybody was sitting there watching you, and there you are, in the middle, standing there. Smiling. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, there's popcorn and pretzels. Yeah. (laughs) Is there something that it uh, doesn't make sense? So uh, when we die, our conscious mind is over. So you're saying there is a video for me to see, but I am not anymore me. So who's seeing? Your soul. Your soul, that's not limited by the body, is going to be seeing it. Your soul can see. It can see much better than you can see now. So, now let's... I'm going to go a step further. We're going to hold that thought. I want to go one step further. Now, depending on your actions and depending on what you've done, you're either going to have a tinge of pride when the video is being shown, or you're going to have a tinge of embarrassment. Pride is heaven. Embarrassment is hell. (coughs) <laughs> Did I not warn you? <laughs> but I attended another Kabbalah class three years ago, and the rabbi this time told us that the, the notion of hell doesn't really exist in Judaism. Well, what I'm going to do here tonight is I'm going to tell you what hell is in Judaism. Okay. Hell is when the truth is told and it's embarrassing for you. That's hell. And when you're standing there, when all, when all is on the open, there's nothing to hide and there's no way for you to stop the video from rolling. You cannot stop it. And you're completely embarrassed. That's hell. That's what the expression, that's right. All hell breaks loose. That's right. <laughs> or it felt like hell. Well, there's very few people who wouldn't go to hell. Yeah. Busha. The Talmud calls it busha, a deep sense of shame. That's hell. When you're standing there and you can't do anything about it, and everything that you've done is now there for all to see, and you will be judged, your future will be judged. Now, there's good news here. And this is one of the things I love about Judaism. And I hope that you're going to join me in this adventure of Kabbalah and appreciate what hell is. Everything that happens there on that screen, after life, is a direct result of what we do here. So, we can erase the tape today. It's called... Teshuvah. Teshuvah means 
literally return. It's returning the soul to its pristine state. It's turning, returning the soul back to holiness. It's choosing good, making a conscious choice for good. We can erase the tape. There's other times also. They say um, there's opportune moments in life. For example, let's say a, a convert at the moment of conversion, they have a clean slate. A bride and groom at the chuppah are given a clean slate. Their entire previous slate is erased. <laughs> and now I know why they're on to their sixth. <laughs> Was it my class? Oh no. Teshuvah's a new recording. That's what it is. Kind of like the cassette. If you, you can't erase it, but you can tape over it. That's what teshuva is. It's but taping it's over it. There. It's still there. It's did. not accountable for it. It's still there. May be still remnants of it. It's maybe, but it's definitely much less. There's not much of it left. And whatever little bit is left, it's nothing compared. Look, it happens. You did it. You can't. You have to take ownership. You have to take responsibility for your actions. Yeah, but but by answer, making, you're answering to that. You've got to answer to that eventually. Yes and no. Yes, you have to answer to it. But if you, in this lifetime, you have the ability to change it which means it, it's definitely not going to be a fraction as harsh as it would be if you didn't change it. I mean, there's 8 billion souls on this planet. Yes. Not everybody is aware of all this. Yes. Well, so they're going to make all those mistakes absolutely. until that day. Absolutely. And then what? Well, we'll talk about reincarnation. That's going to be next. It's not pristine, but it's mostly new. When you reach afterlife, you can't erase or filter each action, thought, or word. But they all become highlighted. God doesn't have a great memory. just doesn't forget anything. What's amazing about this is that it's not an external process. It's a direct result of what we do. It's a direct result of our actions. That's what's so powerful about it, is that we have the ability right here, right now, to change. To change all that. If you don't like what the movie is going to play in 120 years today, you can change that. And I'll tell you something even nicer. You can if, change only the part that passed. You can't change the future. But if you change the past, you're going to change the future. It's all one big happy family. If, if I press delete now, I delete the past and the future. Of, well, because you've changed. What's going to happen in the future is going to be completely different. The future, you've changed. You're a different person. Of course the future is going to be better. What about everything that, you know, we are here for the same person? Do, uh, are we having a, another purpose then, or is it still the same person? Maybe the purpose is to come to this class and to realize that change is necessary, and to change, and then go on to a life of change. I'll tell you an amazing story, a story that changed my life. I heard about a man named Tekau. This guy Tekau was 
um, in, the, in the 30s, there was a, a, a Jewish-German diplomat that was killed, that was murdered by three young men. By, by, by three young men. I forgot his name. You can look it up. And there, the, uh, at the, when they were caught, they were caught. Two were killed, and there was one that survived. I remember the young man's name. His name was Tekau. And he survived. And he was obviously put into prison for a very long time. The mother of the, Ger- the German Jewish diplomat that was killed sent a letter to this young Nazi and said to him the following, I will forgive you if in a court of law you confess to what you did and then if in a heavenly court you repent and return and change your ways. I will forgive you. This boy tells the following story. He said he served his time and he came out and he joined the Foreign Legion. And through his work in the Foreign Legion, he was able to make fake passports for German Jews to go to Morocco. He saved 750 Jews from the war in the height of World War II. And later on, the nephew of the German diplomat met up with this guy. And when they met, he pulled out of his pocket the letter that the mother had sent him. He said, this is what I carry with me always, and I hope every day of my life that I can do this letter justice. If that woman would have screamed at that man, how dare you, and not given him the chance to return, to repent, then she was making the the biggest mistake, only because look at what happened as a result. 750 people were saved. And it wasn't even enough, he said. He wanted to be forgiven for a mistake he did when he was a child that cost a life. He saved 750 lives because he was given a chance. We have the ability to change. It's all about our actions. It comes down to us. We're not passive bystanders in this mess of life. We are active, integral players. There's something else. What about someone, a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, who never knew this, who never had a chance? What about their soul? We can do something for them here. We have the ability to do things here to affect their life. Because they're looking down 
they understand what truth is now. They understand it more than they ever understood before because they're in the world of truth. And when we do something in their memory, in their merit, in the world of truth, their soul is uplifted because we, in essence, are an extension of their soul. So we have the ability, and that's why very often you'll see different uh, dedications or, or, or things that are done in memory of someone who's passed away because we, we can directly affect. We can directly affect what happens here and what happens there. I'll just... Um, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm kind of skipping around and not going as much into the text. I just want to go into the second side of the first page. It's, it's halfway down the middle of the paragraph. Every mitzvah, every mitzvah that a person does creates a defending angel. And every misdeed creates an accusing angel. These angels come and bear witness on a person, and every thought, speech, and action of a deceased lifetime is reviewed and taken into account. The Talmud lists the questions that a person will be asked upon the arrival at the heavenly courts. I didn't put them all here, but I put a couple. Were your business dealings faithful? Did you set fixed times for study? Did you engage in procreation? These are real questions that Talmud says are asked. If the soul requires cleansing of any misdeeds, the soul is sent to hell, called in Hebrew, Gehinom, which is the heavenly purification depot. The works of Musar describe Gehinom as a horrific place where excruciating punishments are meted out to the sinner. Based on the nature of the sin is how the punishment is administered. If a person sins with heated passion, they are placed in the Gehenim of snow, called Gehenim Shel Shelig. If they were ice cold in their divine service, they are placed in the Gehenim of fire. Gehenim is not a physical place, and the descriptions given speak in human terms that we appreciate, nor is Gehenna a place for eternity, but it's a temporary, albeit terrible place for the soul to be cleansed. In fact, the vast majority of souls do not stay in Gehenna for more than 11 months. What's interesting is that the Talmud describes the mourning process as a direct reflection of the soul's process. Is there, why is there a notion of time where I'm supposed to be in a different world? We're not in Ghana, we're not in Because, Ghana, we're not Again, in, everything we speak of is analogous. There's no way for us, if we called it Kajumaba, we'd say, what does that mean? So we have to speak into it, and we have to speak of it in terms that we understand. Otherwise, there's, nothing, there's no point in speaking. We can speak gibberish, but, I mean, 
we won't understand it. So we're, we're, we put it, the Kabbalah uses analogies. And one of the big problems in general that people have with studying these works is that they're all analogies. Because it's really, there's no way to understand it. So it's very easy to get confused. You know, when it says God has a hand, does God have a hand? No, God doesn't have a hand. God is beyond hands. But if it said that God had something else, then, you know, so it's, it's called anthropomorphic. We're using anthropomorphic terms to understand things that are, that are beyond us. Now, the Talmud describes the mourning process as a, um, as a direct process with, our, with, with the soul's process. So, for, for the first three days, the soul cries, as the mourner cries. The next seven days, the mourning is done at home, and people come to comfort the soul. And the soul is in this place of seclusion, where the next 30 days, there's no haircut, etc., there's other things. Then the 11 months is for Kaddish, and 12 months is the yard site. No soul, the worst, the worst. The Talmud says the evil of all souls will spend 12 months in Gehinnom. So that's why the Kaddish is only 11 months, because there's no way, at most, we don't call anyone wicked. At most, a soul in this lifetime will experience 11 months of, of, this, of hell. So this, the Kaddish, saying the Kaddish, the prayer, eases the pain of the soul. Now let's talk about the relationship between the soul and the body at the moment of death. At the moment of death, the soul leaves the body. It doesn't go out the window or out the thumb, as people say. The interesting thing is, I don't know, you probably wouldn't know this, but in the place where they keep the bodies until burial, they have always the windows open. There's a, it's one of the, the laws, and one of the laws in Judaism is to keep the window open. So, I, I, no one really... I guess we can, I can probably research it and find out exactly why it's done it, but it's done in many, many places. In the, the soul is actually still with the body. What page are you on? I'm not on any page. Because these pages don't No, 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 I'm not on any page. It's just on a higher spiritual place than it was when it was in the body. It's kind of like a deep-sea diver, if I can use this analogy, where if a deep-sea diver would come up to the surface quickly, they would get, what is it called, bends? Yeah, bends. bends, they would get bends. So that's essentially what's happening, is the soul is going from the body to not being in the body. But there's a process for the soul to do that, a cleansing process, where the soul, if it, does, if it happens too quickly, then, they, then the soul will get the bends, so to speak. The soul has to reacclimate to what life is without the body, because the soul has become so accustomed to being reliant on the body. So it's completely, during that time, it's completely aware and connected to the body. And that's why Jewish law demands that the utmost care and respect must be given to the bodies. And in other, in other traditions, there's not a lot of care. It's just, you know, it's just a corpse. It's not a... Uh, not alive. Who cares? And, uh, uh, and when I was studying rabbinics, 
we had to be exposed to various things, and we were also exposed to the treatment of bodies in other traditions, <coughs> part of the study. And I don't want to go into great detail about what happens there, but they don't believe there's any connection. But we really believe. Not only that, but the people who prepare the body for burial cannot speak anything besides for what's necessary to, to, to cleanse the body because the soul is so sensitive at that time. It's so connected and so sensitive. Is that, is that why someone sits with the body instead of burial? Yes, that's right. It can't be left. It's, 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 um, it's scared. So it's not scared like we know scared. But it's just... It's a process of disconnecting, and for, for the beginning, for the first part, that's why also we try to bury the body as quickly as possible, because it says from the dust you come to the dust you shall return, and the quicker, I know, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry to use these terms, but this, just so you know, and I would hate to not give you the full story here in this classroom, but the faster the body decomposes, the, 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 the faster the soul was able to return back. So the faster we can get the body into the ground, is the, it, it makes it easier for the soul. But for the first time, especially for the first year, the soul still hovers over the grave and still very much there. And, and there's, a, there's a slowly, as the year goes on, there's a slow disconnect over time. The godly soul, though. Yes, correct? yes, the godly soul. Yes, the animal souls on the ground. It takes 12 complete months for the soul to reacclimate. After it's done with the purification process with hell, that is called heaven. And heaven is when it appreciates all the good that it's done in this world. Now, the good also helps out a lot through the purification process because a lot of those good deeds basically in that, you know, so to speak, in that judgment room, you know, the, the good against the bad, those good deeds overpower some of the bad. That's where it all plays out. The, the tshuva, the things that we do in, this, in our lifetime that overshadow the bad things, it all plays out. So, but when the whole process is over, when the 12 months or 11 months are over, and the soul is able to completely go to heaven, that is when it's able to cherish and bask in the rays of its mission of fulfilling its mission and being here in this world and all the good that it did in, in its lifetime. Um, yes? Why there is a difference between a man and a woman to go back to, to God uh, in the morning process? I was told that it's only 11 months for a woman and 12 months for a man. It's all the same. It's the same. no difference. The only difference is, there's only one difference, if you really want to know, and that is in the, in the procession to the burial, for a man we stop seven times, and for a woman we don't stop at all, because a woman is, holy, is, is holier. So a woman doesn't need to, to, to have that stop of being in this world any longer. A woman goes, so that's the only difference. Is the mourning different for a spouse than it is for a child or a parent? Is there any difference? Yes. Yes. Um, can I go further? Yeah. There's a story told of Rabbi Elimelech of Luzhensk, just to give you an idea. Now, 
the Talmud says that the souls of the righteous do not decompose. And that's one of the reasons why there's a tradition to go to the graves of righteous people, of tzaddikim. Sorry, the bodies of the righteous do not decompose. They, they remain completely intact. <clears throat> and that's why that tradition exists of going to pray by the graves of righteous people. So the story is told about Rabbi Elimelech of Luzhensk. When the Nazis came into Luzhensk, they saw all the Hasidim who were gathering around the, this, his grave. And he had died, I believe, 150 years earlier. They were gathering around his grave praying. So they wanted to kind of make a mockery of these poor Jews. So they ordered the, day, the grave to be dug up. And when they brought the, the, the body up, it was completely intact. 150 years later, it was completely intact. They were shocked. They, they couldn't believe it. And they, out of respect, they quickly put the body back in the ground and covered it up. And it said that, they, that, that the, the Nazis that were there, Luzhensk is one of those cities that, were, that was taken care of, that there was protexia. Because we, for, for, for righteous people, it's different. Where there's a, there's, a, there's a complete connection. For a righteous person, there's a, because they, they don't have anything to rectify, they don't go through the hell process, there's a complete connection between soul and body in this world and out of this world. And that's part of where you know, we can say to them, you can be, please be our, you know, our, our beseecher, our helper to take our prayers to God. God. They don't, but but it's usually you know if a lot of people say this person's a righteous person. There's an assumption. Then. There's there is an assumption. The Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I mean. I mean, saying there's certain parts, there's certain things that kind of make the person fit the bill. We can talk about that at a different time. Okay. Now. There are different types of hell. <coughs> Most bodies start to decompose at seven days. Chibud HaKever is called pains in the grave. That is the process of the body starting to decompose and because the soul is connected, sorry, because the soul is connected, the, the, the soul can feel it during that process, during that time. And that is, it's very, very painful. That is one type of hell. There's a lot of other things. I, I, I see already it's, uh, it's a bit much. I'm not going to go into great detail uh, of more... Or, yes. I mean, if you want to know, there's like for there's one where what? There's one more. I'll tell you the the most the most commonly known. We, again, we don't know this much. The little bits that we know, I'm telling you, the most commonly known is Chibur Kever is the is the is the grave is the disconnection of body and soul in the grave. And the other one is called um, Kafakela, which is literally it's it translates as hollow of the sling, which is basically. Um, you, you see something bad that you did in your life, and then you're catapulted to a, a judgment where they 
basically judge you for it. And you're constantly going back and forth between what you did and, and, and what you're judged. And you can't do anything about it. Just constant back. It's like a, it's like a slingshot going back and forth between your, the, your actions and, and, being, and being judged for them. Obviously bad actions and obviously negative actions. Um, yeah, well, that's part of the cleansing process. During 11 months. What? Uh, during 11 months. Yes, okay. during that 11 months. It doesn't go further than that. Yeah. So, um, back in the second page of our, of our text. Because we don't presume that most people are sinful, as to warrant 12 months sentence, reserved only for the wicked, middle of the paragraph, the recital of Kaddish for the departed soul, which brings elevation to the soul and relief from Gehenna, is only recited for 11 months, and thereafter only on the yard site, the anniversary of death, because that is when the soul rises one level higher every year. On Shabbat, all souls have an elevation. Souls in Gehenna are given relief, while those in the world of Yitzira, we'll talk about other worlds soon, are allowed to go through what's called the Amud, the pillar that connects between the worlds of Yitzira and Bria. Those of you who have previous classes here in Kabbalah, you can appreciate some of these terms. After the purification of Gehenna, the soul enters the world to come, the Garden of Eden, where it receives the rewards it earned through the work in this world. The Talmud speaks of the heavenly academies, called Mesifta Durakia, where the soul sits and studies. The Talmud says, happy is the man who enters the world to come with the Talmud in his hand. What one learned in this world is relearned on a much higher level in the next. There are numerous levels of Torah learning called Pardes, In study, in study, there are five levels. The pardes. Whatever, you can put a little D-E-S. Pshat, Remez, Drush, and Sod. Pshat, this is how we study. This is how in rabbinical school, in yeshiva, this is the process of study. Pshat is the simple explanation. Simple. The simple understanding of the verse. Remez is the alluded to explanation. What we learn from, with the, you know, once you understand the basic understanding, then what we can learn from that, one step removed, two steps removed, three steps removed, what comes out of that, that comes out of that, that comes out of that, the process of this, of of assimilating the study is called remez. It's called alluded. Really doesn't define it, but that's what the what translator says. Drush is the homiletics. It's the stories. It's the analogies. The homiletics. And sod is the Kabbalah. It's a deeper explanation. And every single, every single study will go through this process. The simple explanation to then the alluded to explanation, the homiletics and the analogies to the, to the Kabbalistic, to the deeper understanding. And there's different levels and levels and levels. In the world to come, we get to go even further in those levels. And we get to expound on those things. A 
I'll give you an example of an alluded to explanation. There are three letters that spell truth in Hebrew. Emet. I'll do it in English first. Emet. Which is Aleph, <coughs> Mem, <coughs> Taf. What you're going to see interestingly about Aleph, Mem, Taf is they all have their feet firmly on the ground. By the way, that's an alluded to explanation. Whereas, for example, Sheker, which is falsehood, has nothing to stand on. Now, Emet also, <clears throat> an alluded to explanation would be as you take the Aleph, you pull it out, and you go like this. Aleph stands for Adam, which is man, and Met is death. Emet, the Aleph, the person, Met, will eventually die. That's an alluded to explanation. So truth, truth is not in this world, is in the world to come. Truth is death. And that's why again, this is not this is not my normal. Usually the class here is positive, exciting, but I just, because of this topic, I want to kind of give you, give you the full balance of what is spoken of, and I hope that it's been clear. Now we're going to go back into the regular. We're out of the, uh, we're out of the difficult section of this class. I have a quick question. Yes. I So a child before the age of 12 or 13 is not responsible for their own actions. It's their parents' responsibility. Um, 15, 16. I think, I think when, when you're young, younger, younger people are not responsible for their actions because it's their parents that are supposed to guide them and their teachers that are supposed to guide them in the proper way. But adults, there's only so much time you can say that, you know, you, you can claim na na naivety. So as adults, it's our responsibility to learn and to study and to understand what's out there and what's beyond us and, and what it means to be good. And, and Children who pass away are not accountable. Are, are not accountable. child that passes so away is completely happen. righteous. They go completely to Ganeiden. Completely righteous. Yeah. And that's why the, the children that pass away... Their, their purpose in this world is like a tzaddik, is like a, a righteous person, because they're, they're, they're without sin. They, they go without sin, so they had a unique purpose in this world that had nothing to do with having to grow and build and refine themselves, which is a powerful, powerful uh, idea. Possibly not. It's very possible not. I don't know. Um, I, I've heard stories over the years of various things, situations during the blood libels, 
uh, in, in the Middle Ages, there was people that used to claim the Jews used the blood of Christian children for their, for their matzah. It was called the blood libel. It was a terrible thing. It plagued Jewish communities in the Middle Ages. Terrible people were killed. There was persecutions and mass killings because of these stupid ideas. I mean, obviously, if anyone knows anything about kosher, we're not allowed to even consume even a drop of blood from an egg. So that would be completely wrong um, in, its, in its idea. But there were a lot of people that believed it. And they used to go to the Jewish cemeteries and dig up little Jewish kids and drop them in, drop them in front of uh, homes. And, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's so possible. Okay, I want to kind of get out of that, this talk. It's, it's, okay, let's talk about heaven. One of my favorite parts of this whole idea when it comes to hell and heaven and the afterlife, is that everything that we do here can affect the next world. Is that it's in our hands today. That all these sad, depressing things that we have studied about, that happen to people, don't have to happen to us. We have the power today in our lifetime, right now, to change, to do good, to choose good. It's, the, it's incredible. It's in our hands. Every single action is immortal. And, and God has a different set of weighing scales. We don't know what's, what's more important and what's less important. We don't know what's considered a big deed and a small deed. Because for some people it was a big deed. For some people it was a small deed. We don't know. Because every person is unique. Every soul is unique. We don't know whether or not that was soul's purpose or that wasn't soul's purpose. But what we do know is to do. We have to continue doing. We have to continue moving forward. And somebody said to me, someone said, why, why bother? Who really cares? Who really? It's not popular anymore to do good. That's what he says. My friends don't care. My neighbors don't care. Nobody really cares. My answer tonight is when all the neighbors and friends are gone, there's only God left. At the end of days, it's not about what's popular and what's not popular. It's about what's powerful. <clears throat> it's about what's eternal. And everything is eternal. Everything that we do is eternal. Every power, every action, everything that happens, we can have a direct impact. One person can make a difference. One person can make a difference. And that's our purpose here. That's why we're here. We're here to make a difference. We're not here to sit by idly and watch as the world passes before our eyes. That's going to happen after 120 years. That's what we're going to do then. We're going to sit by idly, watching as our life passes before our eyes. Today, our job is to do. And sometimes we don't have to even think about it. Just do.
When you do, ask yourself one question. Am I serving a higher purpose? Am I doing it for the capital I? Or am I doing it for God? Am I doing it for a higher power? God is a scary word. Higher power. <coughs> am I doing it for myself? So I can gain my position in life? I'm going to get higher in the corporate world because I am aligning myself with this fantastic charity and therefore my position will increase. Or am I doing this because God said do? In old Europe, they told the story about the miser of the town. That's what they called him. Everyone called him the miser of the town. I heard it in Osterpoli was the name of the was the name of the town. They called him the miser. No one respected him. He was a very wealthy man, never gave anything to anyone. He had no kids, no family, and one day they found out that he had passed away. Made him a little burial somewhere in the cemetery, no one bothered. The next day, a woman with two small children come into the rabbi's study asking for, for some food. Gives her some food, never had seen her before. Gives her some food. And another day, Two, three, four, ten, fifteen, twenty people. <coughs> people are coming in. And the rabbis, what, what happened all of a sudden? Started asking around, what's going on? And they found out that this man, every day, would leave anonymous packages of food and money on the doorsteps of these people. And for the past twenty-something years, he'd been taking care of the community. It's not about what we see. It's not about who's going to see it. It's not about who's going to benefit from it. It's about doing something for a higher purpose. It's about doing something because that is why we're here. We're not here, sorry, to go on vacations. That's not why we're here. Vacation happens in a different life. We're here to work. The more we work on ourselves, the more we do for others in this lifetime, in this world of falsehood, the more we're able to reap the benefits in the world of truth. Now let's change that position. Spirituality in this world is about being in this world, living in this world, and making this world a better place. It's not about going on a mountain and meditating somewhere in the hills of Tibet, or, or, or studying kendo in Japan, or going to the deep mountains of Mongolia for spiritual enlightenment because there's nothing spiritual there. That's all about ego boosting. That is ego boosting enlightenment. 
And I'm sorry for being so stern about it. I'm sorry if people are going to say, what are you talking about? There are very spiritual people there. Maybe. But I'm, maybe. I'm not going to question that. But I want to tell you is that Kabbalah and Judaism do not believe that that is how you become spiritual. The most spiritual people are the people who do things anonymously. I'm just going to finish off with a little story, personal story. Tonight is the fifth anniversary of the passing of my grandmother. And she was a not an openly religious person as you would call me, though I don't know if I'm as religious as I would call me. And I was a kid, I was very close with her. She used to come over to the house every day growing up. Had a very, uh, I was her oldest grandchild. What's fascinating is that, thank God, she ended up, uh, she, she, had, she had 11 grandchildren, and all of them were religious, even though she herself was not a religious person. But every Thursday, my grandmother would come. I had no idea what we were doing. She would come to my house, and I would get into her station wagon. And she had, she, she was not a very wealthy person. She actually wasn't wealthy at all. She worked very hard. She was a single mother. She raised her children alone. She built up a business. She had a furniture business that she built up by herself. Uh, for many years, she worked till the last day. She worked in that store. And she had a line of envelopes. And I used to go with her, and we used to slip the envelopes under doors. I never knew what it was about. I was six, seven, five. I was probably five years old when I started. We did it for years. I never knew what they were about. I just did it. The bubby came. We went in the car. It was a regular Thursday activity. I never even was thinking of being a rabbi or wasn't actually, I was thinking of going into business. As a kid, I used to always say, I'm going to go into business. I used to go, I used to buy and sell baseball cards. <laughs> I used to go to the flea markets and I used to buy packs of baseball cards very cheap. And I'd go to all my friends and I'd sell the baseball cards. I was like a little entrepreneur selling different things. I used to sell Laffy Taffies and Lemonheads and who knows what. <laughs> and one day she comes to me and she says, I have something for you. She said, I have something that was given to me by my grandfather, who was a rabbi, a very religious man. And I want to give it to you because you're my rabbi. You're going to be my rabbi. I was nine years old. And she handed me a stained glass window that came from a synagogue. And he said, this is the window that you're going to put in your synagogue. I was nine years old. And today it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating place to be and to think about the people that have guided us through the years and the people that, have, that are there that watch over us, our parents and our grandparents that are constantly guiding us guiding our, our, our ways, because they're in the world of truth. And we are 
trembling and faltering and stumbling in the world of falsehood. My prayer tonight, if I can end off with a prayer, is that we should find, we should find the truth within the false. We should find our truth and realize that life is this incredible journey that's pieced together with experiences and sometimes we're on these highs and sometimes we're on these lows and remember if you're in the, one of those lows it's just because there's a big high coming that's the way the tide runs there's the wave the wave is going to come it's just a matter of time just wait for the wave and ride the wave because that is the beauty and the gifts and the love that we are able to give to the world and that the world has given to us. And now today, it's in our hands. It's in our hands to take the experiences that we sit on. The Midrash calls us midgets on the shoulders of giants. That's our choice. Our choice is to stand as the midgets or to get up onto our grandparents' and great-grandparents' shoulders and see the world in a very different way, in a way that's incredible. Not get caught up with all thinking about these difficult things about what's going to happen at the end of time because the end of time, if we spend too much time talking about the end of time, then we didn't spend enough time being in time. We need to spend the time in time and try to lift every day and wake up every morning and say, thank you. Thank you for another breath of life. Thank you for another moment of life. Thank you for the gift of today because today we're able to do so much more than yesterday. Today we're able to grow and become better people. To give more of ourselves, to give more to ourselves. We, we uplift ourselves, we uplift others. And then, in that sense of joy, in that state of bliss, we're able to, one by one, together, make the world a better place. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode.